Welcome to the Sailing Into Oblivion podcast. I'm your host, Jerome Rand. Welcome, everybody. We are going back to Georgia today. Very excited, actually, because if I had to choose one state to go back and hike again on the AT, it would absolutely, without question, be Georgia. And it sounds kind of strange because there are, each state definitely has its own little nuances let's say some good some bad all that sort of stuff but Georgia for me and I I think that it really has to do with because it was the first state I had all that excitement and anxiety and all that sort of stuff running through my veins when I got down there and just getting on that trail I don't know it was it was pretty unbelievable I mean you go through as a as a first time through hiker you go through that just with this this feeling that you're doing it and you're actually there and it's it's just this amazing feeling and it doesn't take long before the the mountains start to beat you back down and <laughs> give you a little dose of reality but so i i ended up getting stuck in michigan for one extra night uh, i was supposed to fly down there march 1st and stay at a hiker hostel and then hit the trail on the 2nd Big snowstorm up north, got delayed, ended up flying down on the second. And when you fly into Atlanta, you, you hit this, uh, you get on this train, I think it's called the Martha, um, or Marta, the Marta train, and you hop that, and that takes you up north. And um, this hiker hostel, which I, I still don't know if I'm pronouncing this correctly, but I think it's the DeLonga hiker hostel and it's still there it's just this uh really really big house they i think they might even have little cabins i I believe they were working on those when i got there back in 2012 but you pull in uh they come down and they'll pick you up from the the train station and off you go and usually i i think when they picked me up it was just me but uh so I still hadn't really met any other through hikers. I was kind of nervous about that to be honest and I still don't really know why. I guess I think it has to do with the anxiety of you know taking on the adventure and you know there there's a lot of question marks that are still running through your head wondering if you have the right stuff if if you know you you're going to look like an idiot because you brought this instead of that. So, you know, with all, with all that running through my head, <laughs> you walk in and boom, all of a sudden, the, the minute you get in the door at the hiker hostel, then all it's, you know, I, as I walked in, I'm seeing people weighing their backpacks on this big scale they have outside. <laughs> it's, I don't know, it's kind of funny. You wouldn't think, you'd think it would all just be this joyous, we're all in it together, but I don't know. For whatever reason, definitely didn't get that vibe. Was able to, for sure, uh, people, you know, sort of warm up to each other. I think everybody's going through that little bit of anxiety. So, yeah, you know, it's it's an interesting sort of vibe, but it's a good vibe. Uh, we had plenty of beers and did a little town run. That, that hostel was fantastic. I couldn't recommend it uh, more highly. And... The people, if it's still the same people that owned it before, they were fantastic. We had a huge breakfast the morning we left, but we that night yeah, it was like around two in the morning. All of a sudden, we start getting woken up because there's tornadoes that are in the hills, and everybody has to go huddle down in the basement for a while. I think it was maybe thirty minutes or so, and then finally we ended up <laughs> ended up just being like, "We're going to bed. Screw this." And uh, so we got some sleep, and then, yeah, next morning, boom, huge breakfast. Uh, even though I couldn't really eat a ton at that point, so nervous about, you know, everything. And and we woke up to sort of a drizzly, foggy morning, and then you just hop in and hit the trail. And they take you up. You can either go to the approach trail, which starts down uh, at Amicalola Falls, or you go, they can drive you to... 
Uh, I think it's like Black Gap Shelter or something. I don't actually. I can't even remember where it is, but there's. It's basically like a mile or a half mile long approach trail to get right to the actual start of the trail, and that's the one that I did. I figured there wasn't really much reason to add a whole bunch. I think it was like eight miles for the approach trail. I just wanted to start the thing. I was so excited, but kind of wind your way through and it, it, it's interesting there's this transition and it's something unless you go camping you don't really think about but the minute you go outside and again this is early March so it's not really that warm I want to say it was probably in the the high 40s low 50s and there's this transition that you go through so when you the minute you walk out the door or get out of the car and the cold sort of hits you, there's this realization that you know that that is now your new climate control is Mother Nature. And so if it stays cold for days and weeks on end, then that's the situation you're in. There's no way to sort of heat the environment. I mean, besides having a fire, obviously, but it's not as though you're going to take a pit stop, have a lunch break, start a fire somewhere enjoy that and then keep moving on that that doesn't happen you'll you maybe have a fire at camp but that's about it so it's cold all of a sudden you're sort of like ooh and you know you, your body gets so used to being able to throw a jacket on go from one place to another take the jacket off and you're fine and comfortable well out in the woods it's completely different and it sort of smacks you in the face a little bit but once you start hiking, especially with the backpack and uh, and also with just the actual exertion of hiking, you you heat up pretty quick. You know you'll 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 feel that instant cold and then totally fine. So take this like mile mile long trek up there, and then you get to the big bronze plaque, and it's a plaque of a hiker, and it's the official start point of the AT. And then you actually have to, so first, obviously, you take a selfie. And there's a little, you get your first dose of one of the the trail registers, trail logs. And it's just a spiral notebook. And I think I read a few of the entries and stuff, not too many. Threw down mine. I I think I already had my name. I think that's where I actually came up with my name, Geronimo, out there. And once I did that, scribbled it in the book. And part of the reason with the trail name, so everybody's got trail names out there. It's it's this strange kind of very cool, uh, on like uh, anonymity. Yes, that's the word. <laughs> uh, it's this sort of system that that goes on. You never really know people's real names, and you don't want to. You don't really tell your name. It's it's it, you just go by your trail name, and everybody knows you by it. But the thing about trail names. If you don't have one set already and somebody, you you do something, usually something kind of stupid or at least um, noticeable, then all of a sudden you somebody else can name you and then you're, <laughs> then you, that's what you're going to be dealing with for the next uh, four or five months of your life. And, and there's some pretty funny names just to, just to throw out a few. I knew Bojangles, Tuna. Scuba Springsteen, Meats, Extreme, oh man, who else, Patches, Sasquatch, uh, Dark Knight, God, there were, there were just so many, there was one crew, and, and if you travel in sort of a small group the whole way, your group can sort of get a name, and my favorite was the uh, Hot Garbage Crew, <laughs> uh, they, they smelled like hot garbage, and they partied like hot gar- like hot garbage. <laughs> oh man, just thinking about them. I only camped with them maybe two or three times, but they were all really cool and uh just a fun. They they were having a really good time out on the trail. It was it was pretty cool. And that's that was very different than the way that I went about the trail. Obviously, I was I was alone for a good portion of it. Definitely the majority of the second half, but I always wondered what it would have been like to crew up and and you know sort of everybody's in it together sort of hike of the AT. I think if I were going to do that trail again, 
excuse me, I think that would be what I would want to, I think that'd be what I'd want to go for is, is to crew up with like three, three or four other people. And so it just sort of makes the whole thing a bit more of a party, I guess, but only because I've done it the way I did it already. I wouldn't trade that for anything just because it, the experience of, of sort of doing this thing on your own, ah, I don't know. I think it gives you a lot, a lot more time to reflect on what's going on around you. You can reflect inward a lot more. And I don't know, there's just something about it that, that was kind of what I needed at the time or what I was looking for at least. So anyway, so uh, you get up there, you take a picture and then actually you have to backtrack and go right back down the, uh, back down the trail. Cause the trail starts up there, but you've already walked a little bit of it. So you walk up, see the plaque, do your thing. And then you start walking down and Georgia in the beginning is, it's pretty tame. Uh, I'd say the first, I don't know, 20, 30 miles of it, something like that, is is not bad. The hiking's not super hard. The hills aren't really crazy big or steep or anything like that. And so I I was going for, I think, 12 miles that day, but ended up hiking, I think, about 16. And I started passing. I passed some of the um, the shelters, which was pretty cool. I remember seeing um, Stove Creek Shelter, that was one. Hawk Mountain Shelter, that was another one. That one was pretty cool. Um, there wasn't anybody in those. I It was kind of strange. When, when you set out on the AT, especially, I guess, early March, you're probably going to have less people. I think the most popular month still is April. but So I started pretty early, but there were still some days where there were 50 60 hikers starting each day and for whatever reason I think I sort of started in between two bubbles of hikers and this is something that happens out there it's really it's kind of interesting day in and day out sort of monitoring and watching this because you can feel so alone on the trail and yet 15 miles ahead of you and not even that 10 miles ahead of you there could be every shelter is taken every room in the hotels hostels those are all taken and then 10 miles behind you it's the same thing but where you are the shelters are empty the campsites are empty you barely see anybody and unless you catch up or slow down you don't really experience all that you experience this sort of really quiet the woods all to yourself sort of thing so I'm passing by, I'm seeing these first shelters and it's, you know, there's, there's, uh, they've got bear, bear hanging stuff. So some of them have wires with little pulley systems. It makes it really easy because there are a lot of bears down in Georgia and there's a few places like Blood Mountain and all around that area where you actually are, if you're in a camp there, you have to have a bear canister or else you can get a fine and a bear canister. So for your food, normally you'll just have some waterproof uh, food bag, which is just, you know, just what it sounds like, a little waterproof food bag. Um, but with the bears up there and on Blood Mountain, there's only like one really good tree to hang stuff in. and It's really not all that good anyway. Um, so uh, the, they make these big plastic sort of canisters that prevent you know you could just leave it right next to you if bear grabs that thing it's still i don't think it can smell it through it because they're plastic and then also they're just they're a certain shape so i don't think a bear can actually get any leverage on the thing to open it up sort of stuff but really cumbersome i wouldn't want to ever hike with a bear canister it's ridiculous absolutely ridiculous but it's only in a couple sm- short little sections where you have to do that anyway. But uh, I don't. I don't think we did that. We might have broken the rules on that one, or either that, or we were just there maybe the year before they really started to institute it. I think they were just recommending it at at that point. But um, yeah, we went and, or I say we, it's just me, saw a few people, all that sort of thing, and then. Um, and we're all going north, and it's funny because in the beginning, 
everybody's asking each other like so are you are you through hiking and nobody wants to say yeah everybody's like i'm gonna try my best because there's that self-doubt it's it's there it's ingrained in everybody i mean it's it's such a massive uh undertaking to be staring you know these signs down that say mount katahdin 2195 miles (laughs) it's like holy cow i got a long way to go so Nobody's nobody's too quick to pull the trigger on saying, "Yeah, I'm I'm going all the way to Katahdin." And usually, I found that if people were saying that straight out of the gate, um, they would sort of disappear not too long into the trail. It seemed like the people who were a little more reserved and a little more realistic, I guess you could say, about their future on the trail. I mean, everybody goes down there with the intention to do it, but not it takes a certain type of person to to really be really gregarious about it like yeah oh i'm definitely doing it i'm gonna make it so take that as you will i'm not trying to judge anybody or anything like that but it seemed like a lot of the people that that were in that same boat as i was saying you know i'm gonna try my best that that that'll fade away after not too long but in the beginning yeah i wasn't wasn't sure who knew i didn't but I get through, and end of the day is coming. It's been a good hike, but I'm I'm past 14, 15 miles at this point, and at, I'm starting to sort of think about just setting up my, my tent and doing a little what they call cowboy camping uh, or stealth camping where you're not in any sort of official designated site. And that's one of the reasons I really like the South is you can get away with that. And so in most places, I still think it's it's pretty much permitted. You know, you need to set up a camp somewhere, you go right ahead, and which is very different than the north. We'll get into that. But in Georgia, it was pretty much go ahead and do what you want to do. And they, you are walking through for a little bit um, like a training area that the military uses. I, I want to say it was like special forces or something like that where they do a lot of training. And so every once in a while, you might catch the flicker out of the corner of your eye but you'll never really know it I, I i heard lots of stories about people hearing stuff but never actually seeing anybody um but those guys are out there mm. but go and starts to get towards the end of the day and i end up making it to um gooch mountain shelter so that's my first shelter it's just about 16 miles from the start and Lo and behold, there's one guy there, and uh, that's Scuba Springsteen, <laughs> who I actually helped name. I only named him Scuba Steve, and um, and then later on, because of his his love of of the boss, he he tagged on uh, Scuba Springsteen. But he was he was chilling in there, and I think when I came upon him, <laughs> he was actually trying to build a fire, and it was a, a pretty ratty fire uh fire ring it had a ton of garbage on it and that's one of the sad sort of parts about the trail and and everything is is people typically will will treat fire pits like garbage cans and they'll just offload all the stuff rather than carry it with them and who knows they you know if it's through hikers or if it's whatever but it's it's the people that are going out and using the place so i got out there and he's 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 like, hey, you know how to build a fire? He had this big machete. <laughs> I think he had a big saw, too. Oh, gosh, it was so funny. But he was from New Jersey, fantastic. Uh, we we got on really well instantly. And uh, this shelter was cool. It was a double uh, two-floor shelter, small, but two floors. I took the top. He, he was down on the bottom. It was just the two of us. I tried to cook some dinner. I, I went right in for some macaroni and cheese, which is a huge hefty meal. I wasn't that hungry and ended up dumping about half of it out. We tried to build the fire, but everything was pretty soaked. And it was, I don't know, it was one of those things where it was late enough that we just weren't in. Just It, it wasn't like, oh, let's, let's party. It was sort of, all right, we better get some sleep, big day tomorrow sort of thing, but uh, that was my first uh, shelter experience, and it was cool. I mean, it was it was nice to 
sort of just have a one-on-one conversation and not be surrounded by a whole bunch. I, I've heard a ton of stories, you know, people go in their first couple of um, shelters and there's literally shelters completely filled and then there's 10 tents all around it and it's this big sort of social scene. And I could see that being definitely pretty overwhelming compared to my experience of just Scuba Steve and I hanging out sort of talking about, you know, anything and everything. I and I've always found that, you know, one on one you can you can sort of open up a bit more and all that sort of stuff. Anyway, we, you know, didn't sleep very well that night for sure. At least I didn't cuz Scuba Steve snores like crazy. Uh and it was just, you know, sleeping on that hardwood and everything. I had my tent and stuff, but I I just went for the shelter. That was the one shelter, though, where I don't think there were any mice. It might have just been too cold at that point, but so it wasn't too bad. And uh, again, they had bear hanging poles and stuff there. And and so it just made life pretty easy. And then the next day, boom, we hit the trail and things got a little harder for sure. Um, Georgia just it, the incline just keeps going up and up and up. Like that's basically how, how it sort of rolls, but went and went and the next day cruised. Oh, I think we did, uh, we didn't hike exactly together, but we were pretty close to each other. Um, we, and we ended up camping, you know, in the same spot and everything, but First day's run, I've got all my figures here. So first day's run was 16 and then ended up doing 14 the next day, 13, 15. And one of the reasons that I wanted to do sort of lower miles, I didn't 100% believe in my my knees at that point. They had always given me a bit of trouble. And one of the biggest things uh, of advice that, that everybody said is just, you know, start slow. I mean, you, I know you're excited. You want to really... Uh, put down miles really fast, but there's just no reason to. And if you ease into it, you're going to have a much better time uh, physically. And so I kept the miles low, tried to keep them around 12 to 15 and no more. And I ended up doing that for a pretty good stretch. I'd say 10 days at least before I, I got above 16 miles. But you keep going. And I think it was the next night that we got to... So then we we got to Blood Mountain, and Blood Mountain is crazy. It's it's pretty steep. It's the first really big hill, I'd say, on the AT, really. And you get up there, it was really cold. He and I were hiking, Scoob Steve and I, and we get up there, and it's this old brick, or not brick, but rock. I think it's one of the oldest shelters or, or you know, something on the trail. Super ancient. It's like an old fire lookout or whatever. It's kind of this creepy old place because it's unlike a shelter, which is just three sided with a big open front. This is an actual like little little building with two rooms and it's got rock floor and it's freezing. Temperatures getting colder and colder. And we decide to camp up there and temperatures dropping. It's later in the day, cook our meal, do all that sort of stuff. And then it's time to deal with our, our, our packs or our, our food bags. And we had been hearing more and more about, you know, there's a bear that lives up there that'll take your food and you got to watch out and this and that. And like I said, there's only one tree and it has this big branch coming out of it. It's not that high off the, the ground. And I went out and hung mine. And my, my, my food bag was tiny. Cause the next day you go into Neil's gap, but go in and hang mine up there and it's freezing. I'm, I'm basically hurrying back into my sleeping bag, which I have in my tent, um, inside of the shelter. I'm wearing everything I have. I'm, it's really cold. It's, it's down in below freezing that night. And scuba Steve goes out and he hangs his, 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 uh, his food bag, but he can't, he's, he's not, that experienced as far as where he should hang it and everything and he pretty much just threw it up there I never saw it and I never thought to sort of check and make sure but lo and behold we wake up in the morning water bottles frozen miserable night barely slept a wink and get up and he got up first and I'm still you know sort of sitting in my bag and 
and he, all I hear is, oh, man, <laughs> and his food bag was gone. Holy cow, it got taken by that bear, and he was foodless for that morning. Again, we, we only had like three miles or something to get to Neil's Gap, which has a little store and everything, but... I was able to share a little of my food with him, although that wasn't such a great treat because my food, I was pretty stupid when I was doing all the training for, you know, the five weeks beforehand. Early on, I, I bought a bunch of food to sort of check the weight and everything for my pack, and I never replaced it. I figured, oh, yeah, it's just like camping food. It's going to be fine. Well, it wasn't. It, it was really gross. It was super, like, really stale and... Oh, man. But I shared a little bit of, I think, either oatmeal or maybe just a couple, um, like, Nutri-Game bars or something like that that I had. And we, we end up hiking down pretty early. And at this point, we had only been in the woods two nights, two nights, three days. And all of a sudden, our first bit of civilization comes in. It's it's pretty fantastic, I, I have to say. You wouldn't think that just being in the woods for for a couple of days would do it to you but man all of a sudden it's you're feeling amazed to be able to look around and buy food and you know you're eating hot dogs and pizza whatever you can and they can you can do a nice little resupply the only things that I sort of added on to to my gear list really were um, a little silk liner for your sleeping bag that that just adds to the warmth of it and then I got an actual decent travel pillow, which I still have to this day. I have it here on Sparrow, believe it or not. That's the one that got so moldy that uh, I couldn't wring it all out. It was it was it was so gross. But got this little travel pillow because I part of sleeping was just I I was using um, I want to say it was one of my coats or I I had cooked up this this thought. I didn't have a poof jacket, but I had something similar. And I was basically going to use that, and that did not work at all. That's one top tip for sure. You want to make sure that you always have at least as much comfort as you can get when you're sleeping. Because if you're hiking all day and you're already feeling sore and all this sort of stuff, you might be really exhausted, but it can be pretty uncomfortable to try and sleep. Um, I don't think I got the new sleeping pad there quite yet but I was well on my way I just had this foam one and it was it was garbage it was uncomfortable and again you know as I was in my 30s when I was doing this so it wasn't it wasn't like I could just sleep on the ground and I was fine like I was 18 or something but so we go spend a couple hours at Neil's Gap and then we take off and you go from there and it's just really the reality just sort of hits you. you you've got the next few days um, of just hiking, and the hills are getting bigger and bigger. One of my favorite hills, but also one of the most excruciating, was um, Trey Mountain. Because Trey Mountain is one that it has about three false, false peaks <laughs> as you're going where you think for sure it's going to end. And this this thing goes on for miles and miles and miles of just up, up, up. And you'll be getting up there, and you think, oh, this is definitely, this is almost there now. And then it just, you'll get a, like a little glimpse of the trail ahead or the ridge line ahead, and you realize you're, you're, you've got so much more to go. But pull in there and... Um, Oh, but before Trey Mountain, I got my first experience. So we had sort of caught up with the bubble, so to speak. And the we went into a place called Low Gap. And this was our first experience with a really busy shelter. And that was that was pretty I wouldn't say shocking. It just wasn't it wasn't cool. I just remember getting in there and thinking, oh, you know, I'll sleep in the shelter. And there were, it was a shelter made for maybe six people and I was number maybe five. I don't know what I was thinking to this day. I still don't know, but they, the people there had already built a fire and stuff. And that was pretty cool. Excuse me. But instantly I got in there and, and actually I can't remember what the guy's name was but he just looks at me and he's like oh why didn't you get gators to fit <laughs> I'm just thinking to myself all right so we're 
<laughs> I guess we're just going to be judging and critiquing tonight. <laughs> and I had smokes with me because I still smoked at that point. And I wasn't planning on quitting or at least not anytime early on on the trip like so many people do, which I found out later. Because basically, I think everybody everybody that's a smoker that sets out on the AT thinks like, oh, this will be the time. This is when I'll go and quit. Well, guess what? You're going to be really bored out there. And after you go hiking all day, the first thing you're going to want to do is sit down, relax, and have a smoke. But... So I had them. Every time I whipped them out, I'd have like three people slowly come up, sort of eyeballing, maybe looking at the ground. <laughs> hey, man, can I give you a dollar for one of those? I definitely made a, quite a few dollars and got a lot of beef jerky and had some pretty cool trades here and there. That was pretty neat. But it was also pretty annoying to have people constantly sort of asking you for some of your supplies. There's... there's um a term for hikers that are always trying to bum stuff. I think they're called yogis, like Yogi Bear um, sort of thing. I don't know. It, that that sort of, I, I think it had sort of a double meaning, uh, double meaning a little bit, where you used to sort of do that to try and get food out of, <laughs> you try and look as miserable and as hungry as possible whenever you were, you know, at these big trail crossings and things where there's parking lots and, and day hikers and stuff. But you'd also get that with from fellow hikers, which sort of, I don't know, it just it always took took me on the wrong side because I was kind of like, man, you're out here, dude. You got to be responsible for yourself. And but I don't know, nicotine's sort of a strange, strange mistress. <laughs> she'll make you do she'll make you compromise your your beliefs. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, um, yeah, so I don't know. It wasn't very good, and then uh, we all crash out, and I'm right in the middle, and these, these people are snoring. There's mice walking around. I don't think I slept even one second that night, and by I do remember the full moon was out, and I got up for a while because the guy next to me was snoring and just sort of hung out for a bit by myself, and um, I think that was about the point where I made the decision unless it was a really cool shelter I was going to just set up my camp and and scuba Steve he he came in just a little bit late and ended up setting up his tent and so he was he slept like a rock I think so as soon as the half light started coming up I started packing up didn't didn't care um I was pretty quiet about it because you do there is sort of this etiquette you know you want to be respectful of everybody else but at the same time if you roll into a shelter area at four o'clock and there's people already trying to sleep, well, I got to cook my food. I got to do all this sort of stuff. So don't, uh, don't think that it's due to be a super quiet place, but I have heard other crazy stories we'll get into, but, oh man, of just people completely, completely disregarding any idea of there's other humans here and I might not want to bother them because it's 1030 at night <laughs> sort of thing. But uh, regardless, so spent a pretty crummy night there and learned a few lessons and then took off to go up Trey Mountain. And Trey Mountain is just, oh man, unbelievably tough, but got up there and there's a shelter up at the top. But after that night, I was going to camp out and this was actually my first sort of setting up the tent and all that sort of I'd done it before but never really out in the woods and this you're on sort of this ridge line almost cliff absolutely beautiful find the spot that's maybe I want to say like a hundred yards away from the shelter there were quite a few people over there I had met some other hikers that I was sort of hiking with for a little bit and scuba Steve rolled up he went and I think camped out next to the shelter and I was sort of on my own, but had my own little bonfire and everything. And some people came and hung out and it was cool. It was really cool. The view was absolutely amazing. The temperatures were a little warmer and, um, and then we're pretty much like a day out from finishing up Georgia at that point, which is crazy. Um, Almost, I should say. There's one more super exciting part. <laughs> I should say that in quotes, really. But 
spent that night, had a lot of fun. That was that was probably the first good social time that I had on the trail, and a lot of people came, hung out. I think one couple had a little uh, Bluetooth speaker, and again, this is back 2012, so those things were kind of rare. And um, we jammed out, we talked. It was it was just fun. It was really fun, and. We were part of the reason it was fun is that we all were headed into town the next day, our first real trail town, which is uh, Hiawassee. And I had read about Hiawassee in all the books, especially Walk in the Woods. And man, I just could not wait to get there. So we were five days, four nights on the trail at that point. It's about 11, 12 miles to get to the road where you can hitchhike in. And there's a couple little hotels and all that sort of stuff. And I was planning on doing two nights there just because my knees were really bugging me. And I wanted to sort of just give them a little rest and ice them and all that sort of stuff. So uh, we end up going in. And then there's all these rumors about, (laughs) about a guy in a red truck who will offer you a ride and then before you he drops you off in town which is like 10 10 miles away 15 miles away he'll he'll say you got to give him 15 or 20 dollars or else he's just going to turn your turn around i don't know it was it was sort of this muddling basically there's somebody who's like blackmailing hikers and lo and behold you get down there and there's a dude in a red truck <laughs> and it's just, I don't know, it's one of those things where you don't know. It's not like, you can, hey, man, are you the guy in the red truck everybody's talking about? That Are you going to blackmail me? Because, <laughs> again, you're still in North Georgia, and you're uh, on other people's turf. You know, you're the visitor there. You're the, the lone hiker guy. But um, ended up that the Budget Inn, which is um, sort of the other hotel there, in Hiawassee, they they ran a bit of a shuttle service, so we were able to get a hold of them, and they came and picked a bunch of us up. I'd say there were maybe five or six of us, and we all cruised in. Super cool dude. Um, it was kind of funny because, you know, at that time, 2012, um, you know, obviously they hadn't legalized uh, weed anywhere or anything like that. And we had all sort of, the talk was, you know, people wanted to get that when they got into town. And all, every, all the guys, even the guy who was driving the, the van, <laughs> was asking us for it. He was like, hey, anybody? Because I, I figure, I think he must see some pretty, uh, a good variety of stuff go through that, that hotel because people are coming from all over the place. But anyway, you get there and it's 40 bucks a night, super duper cheap to budget in. And uh, <laughs> it's awesome. It's like paradise. You walk into your room. And there's cigarette burns everywhere. It's just it, these. It's it's really rough, but you've been in the woods for nights and nights, and so you're you're seeing it as just this palace. And you go in and take your first long shower, and all that all that dirt, dirt and just uh, everything comes off you. It's absolutely amazing. And then you just it's basically like straight to beers and pizzas and big sandwiches, things like that. And because I had an extra day, I knew I could do all my resupply the next day. And there's shops right there. So everything's super convenient. But it's just, you know, it was cool because pretty much everybody who's staying in that hotel were all hikers and we're all just hanging out. And now we all have something in common. We've all made it through Georgia because the border, I think, from Hiawassee, um, yeah, from Hiawassee to there, it's just like 15, 10 or 15 miles to get to the North Carolina border. And so we're all just sort of reminiscing and talking about the few nights that we were out there and how cold it was and all that sort of and Scuba Steve's bear encounter with the food bag. That was a pretty fun story. And, and I don't know, it, it you could see the trail and the interaction, the social aspect changing really rapidly. And there were some people that were, there were a few people that came, checked into the hotel and then ended up checking out and just hitting the trail again. Um, They were just so stoked to get back out there. And, you know, you're also looking at weather. Every time you're in a town, it's sort of like shower, food, beer, 
and then checking weather because it's the only time at that point when you could actually get a weather forecast, see what was coming up. And usually it's rain or snow or whatever at that time of year. So you're really keeping an eye on that. And yeah, that's, that's basically, um, how you spend your time in these little towns and, and you walk around anytime you get a chance to stroll around without the backpack is pretty amazing. It's, um, it's a whole world of difference when you don't have 35 pounds on your back, but you're also sort of trying to mend yourself a little bit. I was really lucky that I wasn't suffering from any blisters or anything like that. It was mostly just, um, muscle pain and knee pain. I, I woke up one night where my leg had had sort of folded in half and I couldn't unfold it. It hurt so bad. It took me five minutes probably of slowly trying to work it out. It had cramped up to a point where it was sort of seized up and that was kind of scary and it hurt. Oh my gosh, talk about a rude awakening. But Went the second day, uh, which was called a zero day, and they call them a zero. Um, I We adopted a new term, or I don't know if we adopted or not, probably not, but uh, called a Nero. So instead of like rolling into a town, checking into a hotel, and then taking a zero day, we started to plan our town visits so we'd be camping within a mile or two of the town so that we would get in to town early in the morning, check into a hotel uh, or a hostel or something, and then have the entire day so that we, we weren't really doing a lot of zero days where you did zero miles. It was typically you would actually at least get three or four miles in, then stay in the town, and then you're out the next day. And that somehow seemed to... I think it just it, it gives you this little mental... There's there's definitely a big difference between even if you only do two miles in one day, doing zero miles in a day, you you mentally feel it for some reason. I'm not sure exactly what it is, but you definitely didn't feel great about yourself. <laughs> I know I didn't, and my knees still hurt after my zero day. Um, so I was sort of kicking myself because Scuba Steve took off, everybody took off, and I was basically back on my own at that point. And um, even though Scuba and I had sort of really become trail friends at that point, um, I sort of knew we'd 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 meet up again. It was no real big deal because we were. It was so close as far like one day is not a huge amount, but there are times if you get into sync, and this is sort of a strange thing about the trail. But if you get into sync as far as miles and pace with somebody. They could literally be two miles ahead of you and you will never see them again. And they could stay two miles ahead of you for a thousand miles. It's it's pretty incredible. But uh, so go into town on my zero day and get all the supplies. And it's, it's you know, I want to say planning for the next probably week or so or at least five days because I think I went into Franklin. But um yeah, I had to had to basically plan for five, six days of, of hiking and camping in the woods. So you buy all the stuff. It's tuna, it's macaroni, it's all sorts of noodles, mashed potatoes, tons of, of chocolate and, you know, cliff bars and this, that, and the other thing. And try and cram it all in. And you get better and better as the time goes on. Uh, again, you can do resupply boxes where you're you're sending you know, or having packages sent so that you don't have to actually buy any of the stuff in towns. But I don't know. I kind of like doing it. Um, it was definitely easier to prepare for the trip, knowing that you're just going to go and basically shop the whole time. Um, but so you get all your stuff, you take it back, and then pack, pack, pack. And the whole while you're just eating because even just by, you know, day four, day five, you are an eating machine already it just it it happens that fast because you're burning so many calories hiking from 8 a.m till 6 p.m pretty much every day and that the time as as you know summer comes on that's just going to increase and increase so enjoyed my time in Hiawassee that's for sure and hit the trail um the next day and then it was just a few few miles like 10 miles to get to the border 
and you get to your first border and it's it's a pretty phenomenal um it's a pretty phenomenal sort of feeling to to pass that and on the the first one is just an old wooden plaque that's sort of dug into this tree with an old handrail and it just says nc slash ga and then there's this big giant tree um a little further down the trail that you pass it's sort of this historic sort of tree but man and it's kind of i i hate to say it, but it's kind of a bittersweet moment in some ways where you finish that state and all of a sudden only after like less than a week you're already done with one state and you you get this false feeling of oh my gosh like it's almost over <laughs> which is completely wrong because there's only like 75 miles in Georgia you still have 2,100 something miles to go so that fades really really quickly and the trail just keeps getting tougher and tougher uh, as you approach like the Smoky Mountains and all that sort of stuff you get to the the highest peak on the trail in there but man it is it's it's an amazing feeling you almost don't want to let Georgia go it's like Georgia and maybe that's part of the reason I like it so much is that it it's sort of it's over too quick. <laughs> you could relate it to a lot of things in life for sure. Uh, you know, you're so excited, you're really nervous, and then, <laughs> then it's over way too fast. But I always love Georgia. Like I said, if I if I had to choose one one state to hike again, it would be that one. And I think partly because you know it's all new and everything, but the the camp spots were really awesome. You felt this awesome freedom. You get to sort of these these benchmark places like Blood Mountain, Neal's Gap, Hiawassee, where, I don't know, it's it's these storied places that you hear so much about, and then all of a sudden you're there, and it just feels great. And by the time you're finished with it, you've got, you know, like I said, 75 miles under your belt. You're feeling good. By this point, I had my two walking sticks already it only took a few days to find them every a lot of people will, will use sort of ski poles or trekker poles and it just gives your gives you a little extra stability really it helps for downhill climbing because you think you know oh downhills downhills are easy downhills just jar your body like crazy the, the feet the hips the knees everything gets beat up and it's funny because you get to your first downhill, like first big one, and you're thinking, oh, nice, finally a downhill. And then halfway down it, you are in pain because you're just jarring yourself like crazy. And those, the the hiking sticks definitely helped. I went all natural and just, uh, just found some actual sticks. And they start out at just the perfect height i should next time i do a long trip and i grab some sticks i'm going to make sure they're about a foot longer than they should be because wood slowly just degrades as you pound it into the earth over and over again and i still have those sticks i've had to mend them and put splints on them and all sorts of stuff but i kept them they're they're up in my house in in michigan so that's pretty cool but yeah, that's that's pretty much Georgia. Um, it's a short state, so this will be a short podcast. But I would say just just as a recap for for anybody that might be listening to this, thinking about actually doing the the trail, um, just a few things about getting down there. All you have to do is fly to Atlanta. You take the Marta train, and that's gonna take you right up to the northern terminus of it. And like I said, there's um, there's a couple different places you can stay up uh, to get to the approach trail and everything, but you, you definitely want to plan on one or two nights before you actually start hiking. And you can stay at Amicalola Falls and just start at the approach trail, but it's all super easy. And I used um, the Through Hikers Companion. There's a few different books. There's AWOL uh, there's a few different guidebooks. The Through Hikers Companion now, I just got the 2020 uh, edition of it, and they have added the terrain guides. And, you know, that was one of the things they didn't used to have that in the book. It was just basically information. And I had cut the terrain guides off all these maps. Those maps were expensive. I think I paid 
like $200 for the full set of maps and, and miniature guidebooks. The miniature guidebooks were worthless. But I ended up just cutting those terrain guides off and carrying those with me. And now the book actually has it. So if I were to set out this year or, or whatever, I, I wouldn't even feel the need to have those maps. I would just take this. Um, it's pretty incredible. But it gives you all the information you need, and you can pretty much – Grab your bag, throw your stuff in it, grab this book, and fly down to Atlanta, and they'll come and get you, and, and you can start your trail. March is coming up, people. This is the year to do it. Although, from what I understand, last year, a lot of people got turned away because of the uh, unknowns about you know the, the pandemic and stuff. So I don't know if there's going to be a huge rush to go out and do it this year, or if there's going to be very few people that do it this year because they don't, they're worried about getting basically told to get off the trail. So I don't know. It'll be interesting, but the next one we'll go into is going to be North Carolina where things get steep and tough and the weather gets miserable and it should be a lot of fun. So I, I also hopefully will have a couple interviews coming up of some new sailors that have, shucked off the normal rat race and are bought a boat their first boats and they're they're starting their new adventures so hopefully we'll be able to hear from these guys uh in the coming days but uh thanks for for tuning in and listening and uh till next time <laughs>